following presentation was recorded live by the Jewish Ethics Institute. I just, another disclaimer is I actually realized after we sent out the class, I did do this very similar topic here in 2015. I figured if I didn't remember, surely no one else remembered. So, so some of it, in case it sounds familiar, if you were here in 2015, it might be some of the same material. But we're going to try to apply it to some of the things that have happened since 2015. Have you started so, talking yet? A little. Some things happened. So first of all, actually this week, um, as we know, there was a major uh, court ruling. Judge in, um, I believe it was in San Francisco, blocked um, sanctuary, uh, President Trump's Ninth Circuit Court. sanctuary city order. Same court um, that blocked his other stuff. Um, maybe. It is the same, it's the same court that uh, blocked his other, different judge. Yeah. He said, he was, that's why he's challenging them. He's saying that this, there's two serial opposition forming in front of the same. Uh, that's the envelope with the Okay, so yeah, so this so this took place this past Tuesday on the 25th of April. I'll just read you quickly what the ruling was. U.S. District Judge William Oreck issued a temporary ruling Tuesday blocking President Donald Trump's executive order to withhold funding from sanctuary cities as part of ongoing litigation supported by the city of Salinas. In March, the city of Salinas and Monterey County joined 50 other cities and countries. This is not in your handout. Um, 50 other cities and countries as amicus curia. Hey, see ya. Otherwise known as. Move down. Give, give the man some room, please. David, scoot down a little. This is important. Okay, so San Francisco and the county argued in court documents. So basically their claim was that the executive order violates the 10th Amendment, is unconstitutionally vague, and attempts to co-opt for President Trump the power of the purse, which expressly reserves, reserved for Congress in the U.S. Constitution. Um, Salinas City and Clive, can you scoot down a little? I kind of like him, but I don't want to be too close. So, was there? San Francisco and the county argued in court documents that the president did not have the authority to set conditions on the allocation of federal funds and cannot force local officials to enforce federal immigration law. Um, they also said Trump's order applied to local governments that didn't detain immigrants for possible deportation in response to federal requests, not just those that refused to provide people's immigration status. Um, let's skip down here. So basically, they're claiming um, the Tenth Amendment, which is um, about not um, not give, giving power to the states. Anything that the federal government, so maybe someone else, an attorney here, wants to explain the Tenth Amendment a little bit, a little better than I can. Anyone? Ed, your are you constitutional law attorney? I need to be order. <laughs> Anybody else got it? Everything that, that's not enumerated is reserved to the states. Right. Anything that's not enumerated to the federal government is enumerated to the states. Okay, so their claim here is that um, 
enforcing immigration law. I'm not sure so exactly what the claim is here, but they're saying um, besides the, the order being vague, the fact that uh, the federal government doesn't have the right to limit funding things not related to immigration um, for states or cities that don't want to enforce their their immigration laws. Um, so it goes on to say the judge's decision will stay in place while the lawsuit works its way through the court. Executive order regarding sanctuary cities has also prompted lawsuits in Richmond, Seattle, two Massachusetts cities, San Francisco and Santa Clara suits were the first to get a hearing before a judge. Okay, so that's an AP article. And this is actually the White House statement after the ruling. Um, I'll read it quickly. It says, today the rule of law suffered another blow. As an unelected judge, um, you know how this is uh, the White House statement from White House. Um, as you should just read the tweets. <laughs> you can't do that in a public setting. As an unelected judge, you unilaterally rewrote immigration policy for our nation. Federal law explicitly states that, if, that, quote, a federal, state, or local government entity or official may not prohibit or in any way restrict any government entity or official from sending to or receiving from the Immigration and Naturalization Service information regarding the citizenship or immigration status, lawful or unlawful, any individual, end quote, 8 USC. That means, according to Congress, a city that prohibits its officials from providing information to federal immigration authorities, um, a sanctuary city is violating the law. Right? The sanctuary city says we're not going to provide the information to the federal authorities. Sanctuary cities like San Francisco block their jails from turning over criminal aliens to federal authorities for deportation. These cities are engaged in a dangerous and unlawful nullification of federal law in an attempt to erase our borders. Once again, a single district judge, this time in San Francisco, has ignored federal immigration law to set a new immigration policy for the entire country. This decision occurred in the same sanctuary city that released the five-time deported illegal immigrant who gunned down innocent Katie Steinle in her father's arms. San Francisco and cities like this are putting the well-being of criminal aliens before the safety of our citizens, and those city officials who author these policies have the blood of dead Americans on their hands. San Francisco, this San Francisco judge erroneous ruling is a gift to the criminal gang and cartel element in our country, empowering the worst kind of human trafficking and sex trafficking and putting thousands of innocent lives at risk. This case is yet one more example of a egregious overreach by a single unelected district judge, etc., etc. Okay, in the meantime, we will pursue all legal remedies to the sanctuary city threat that imperils our citizens and continue our efforts to ramp up enforcement to remove the criminal and gang element from our country. Ultimately, this is a fight between sovereignty and open borders, between the rule of law and lawlessness, between hardworking Americans and those who would undermine their safety and freedom. Um, okay, so let's, let's, that's enough for the law. Now let's discuss some Torah. It's in your hand out here. You got one? I'm going to some are green, some are blue, depending on we got depending on which who you're affiliated with. Have different colors. Everyone got one? Bridget, you good? Yes, sir. Okay. I'll tell you what that means afterwards. <laughs> it might depend on how much you paid for the class. Okay. So, um, uh, so first of all, again, just want to point out this is just another great example of. A, the Torah being way ahead of its time and discussing relevant issues, um, contemporary issues, which 
who would have ever dreamed of a president building a wall and uh, things like that. Um, but, but the whole concept of immigration and how to treat uh, refugees and immigrants is extensively discussed in the Torah. As a matter of fact, um, the, the famous prohibition um, in the Torah, there's a, not a prohibition, it's actually a mitzvah, one of the 613 commandments. Um, it is actually the most oft-mentioned commandment in the Torah. It's mentioned 36 times, the verse that says, you shall not oppress a stranger. In various different forms throughout um, the Torah, it, 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 the Torah admonishes us and warns us that we have to treat the stranger, quote-unquote, the ger, the Hebrew term, equally. Now, although there is a, it's, and it's not clear, the word ger, as we know, um, the Hebrew word ger, gemel resh, could also mean convert. Um, so it's a question when the Torah says this law in many different places of treating the ger equally, does that mean or to not oppress the ger? Is it referring to a convert or is it referring to literally a stranger? The word ger, which is used for convert, also means a stranger because convert, obviously, someone who comes into joins. Jewish people, they're strange, they're coming from a different culture, so they're called a stranger, that's strange. Many of them are, but they're a stranger in the sense of they're, they're not part of the culture that they're joining. Um, which is really, so in a sense, it doesn't make a difference in how it's literally translated. If it's referring to this, a convert or a stranger, or an immigrant, or a refugee, immigrant, either way, it's the same point. The point is that someone, just because someone is coming from a different culture, and acts differently than us, that doesn't mean we have a right to treat them any differently. Um, and but this is, and what's, there's a lot of discussion as to why the Torah has to mention this so often, but why is it seems like, as we know, that the Torah doesn't usually mince words, and the Torah doesn't like wasting words. So why would it say this, this specific prohibition so often? Um, so there's a lot of discussion about that, but it's clear and obvious, and especially living in our times, that human nature is we do treat people who are different than us differently. Whether it's different religion, different culture, different color skin, it's just a, it's a matter of, it's unfortunately, but this is part of who we are, and this is what we have to work on ourselves as human beings, which is just because someone looks different or acts different doesn't mean we, we treat them, we, they get different treatment and we shall treat them differently. And this is what the Torah, again, repeatedly says. And as I put the sources here, it says, um, first one is in Exodus, there shall be one law for the citizen and for the stranger who dwells amongst you. So there it's clearly not referring to a convert, but to an immigrant, someone who comes, and this of course is talking about, moves into the land of Israel um, at the time, um, just because they're not Jewish, and they're not part of the Jewish people, doesn't mean we treat them differently, okay? Um, don't worry, we, we will see, there are exceptions to that, as we'll see soon, but, but in general, this is very clear, it's a very clear law, that one does not have to be part of the Jewish people to be treated equally in, we're not talking about the state of Israel today, that's a modern state, we're talking about halachically, the state of Israel doesn't observe halacha per se, doesn't observe Jewish law, so we're talking about, again, when it was in the times when we, was, so to speak, the God-given land. Initially, Jewish people came in. These are the laws that were given and how to treat um, non-Jews living in, in Eretz Israel in the land of Israel. Okay, so it says very clearly. More so, um, rarely does the Torah give a reason for a law. The Torah rarely um, 
um, says the rationale behind it. As we know, the 630 commandments, most of them can try to figure out the rationale. We don't know if we're right or wrong, but the Torah doesn't state the rationale here. The Torah says very clearly, in some of the verses, the reason. It says, in number two, it says, you shall not taunt or oppress a stranger, for you having yourselves been strangers in the land of Egypt. So the Torah says we, and we just finished the, the holiday of Pesach, Passover, where really that's what we're the commemoration we're celebrating is the fact that we were in a land where we were oppressed um, in Egypt. We were we were slaves, and we were we got out, and that's exactly what we're celebrating. So the Torah says, go back in our collective psyche, in the collective psyche of the Jewish people, and realize you yourselves, we've been there, done that. We've been in a place where we were the strangers in the land. We were in Egypt, and we were oppressed because we were the strangers. Um, so we have to realize we shouldn't do what was done to us, and this of course is not just limited to Egypt, as we know throughout our history, Jews have, in almost every country, have been considered the strangers and have been oppressed. So we as Jews have a more important role, and all the more so, in making sure that not to oppress someone, not to treat a stranger differently just because they're, they're not like us. That's what the Torah is saying very clearly. Yeah. When you say differently, does that that's, does that then incline lesser? Like if you said, hey, it's a stranger, let me be warm and helping to them. Hey, you know, I'm not even that nice to my dad, but hey, this is a stranger. I should let him. There's two parts. So actually, that's a very good question. So there's two parts. One is depending on there's different verses. Some verses say treat them equally, as you just saw. Do not. Um, one is don't oppress them. That means don't just because they're a stranger, for example, slavery or in any which way oppress them. And actually, the next quote says. Um, oppress, oppressing means you shall not oppress them financially or even with words. Now, let's say call them nicknames or financially, meaning they, they let's say we are giving, and I'm, don't jump on me for this, but let's say that we're, let's say you live in a country that gives them, uh, you know, uh, uh, healthcare, free healthcare. So they, sh just because someone is, is a stranger, shouldn't, does this mean they should have less benefits than and the and the regular people of the country. That's what the verse seems to be implying. Or financially means not giving them a job, meaning uh, you have a choice between giving this person a job or that person a job. Who gets the job? Okay, so, so that's one aspect. Um, there also is a separate mitzvah which says you shall love the stranger. So some of the verses says that. So even if you don't love your dad, okay, even if you don't love your dad, you still have, you don't have a mitzvah to love your dad. A mitzvah to your honor. Your dad's maybe a different example. No, no, I'm just saying. I'm, just, I'm saying it seriously. You, have, you only have a mitzvah to honor your dad. You don't have a mitzvah to love him. The Torah doesn't say anywhere. There's no commandment anywhere in the Torah you have to love your dad. But it does say you have to love the stranger. Okay, there's a mitzvah of a hafta metager. So you, so there's actually you have to do more for the stranger than you would for your dad. If you're in a strange, if you're, if you're a strange kid, is that like a catch-22? If you don't know your dad, you have to, you have to love him. Not going there. That's a separate class. <laughs> okay, so so it's it's very clear here. Um, like I said the Torah is very much pro um, treating refugees for sure. People who've suffered treating people um, immigrants equally and not oppressing them. That's to start with. Okay, now we're going to discuss some of the issues and and how to qualify. This this mitzvah, okay. Um, so, well, so first of all, first of all, it says treat them the same, okay. That means they pay taxes. All right, so we'll get this. Laws, That's a very good point. They pay everything yes, else. 100%. Sanctuary cities are not saying treat them the same. They're saying treat them however they want to treat them, irregardless. So, so, not to be so the, the same. first point. They, they, they commit a crime. They 
don't prosecute them the way they can't prosecute them the way they prosecute in America. That's not true. That well, is not, not in a lot of cases. That, yeah, that's, that's not that's true. Also no, not they true. Can't the only thing that they're not maybe. doing yeah, <clears throat> is the the issue is where whether or not they they turn them over at the end of their sentence to the federal authorities or they check the database which they're doing but the issue that the reason that they're doing that is because they don't want non-compliance and cooperation from the immigrant community and so they are treating them the same but they don't want the non-cooperation so you're already seeing that where uh, without trying without getting too political this administration is sort of reaching into the communities and and deporting folks who haven't committed, you know, really the crimes that the current administration suggested that they were going to, the people that were going to try to deport. So what you have now is less cooperation from the immigrant communities witnessing a crime or anything like that. They're unwilling to cooperate with the police or even report a crime or anything like that because they're afraid. If you're arresting people at the courthouse steps to deport them, how do you expect to enforce the criminal laws if nobody right, so wants to cooperate? I want to translate what he said. Just needs translation. Yeah, I, I rambled a little bit there. Sorry. Uh, no, 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 no,
Let's have take a travel visa and go to, to uh, Israel. I'm there for 60 minutes. You personally? Me personally. Okay. And I decide, I really like this place. I want to stay. And I just extend beyond my 60 days. What's going to happen when they catch up with me? It's funny that you asked. Well, in Israel, they'll probably make you a citizen. So they have a role in Israel. If you're Jewish, that you can automatically naturally become a citizen, like instantly. Mm -hmm. Not being Jewish, I don't know. No, but, but, but by the way, he's right. Even I've had this problem. When I was Jew? a student in Israel, oh, one second. When I was a student in Israel, I overstayed my student visa, and they stopped me. They, they, they wouldn't let me leave. Not to said you need to become a citizen. No, but they 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 wanted to find me. They missed. They may almost maybe miss my flight because I wasn't. I didn't have the proper papers. So that is true. You know, it's, and in most countries, if you don't have the proper papers, they're going to try to do something. You have you have to do things legally. That I don't think anyone's arguing about that. The question well, is. Are, but that's okay. <laughs> okay. The question is again as far as. Right now we're saying generally, well, let's start from this point. So we said generally the Torah is very clear. Everyone should have equal, quote-unquote, equal rights, including non-citizens, and treat everyone equally. Now the problem is, and that's the question I put on top, is um, so that's, that's not a question. That's very clear what the Jewish view is. But the question is, as, as Alan seems to be making the argument, which is... If there's a, if by doing that we will be compromising our security, and again, I'm, I'm just a rabbi, I don't know the facts, but let's say, you know, it's theoretically speaking, if there's, if by keeping this and allowing everyone open borders, allowing everyone in, um, and to stay in the country, would there be, would that be a compromise on the security? How, how do we decide, or, or even, or even the economy, how do we decide about, let's say, giving sanctuary to refugees, people who are oppressed? And, and treating them and loving them, as we're saying, equally. But if that's going to affect our security um, situation or economically, how does that work within the framework of the Torah? Okay, so 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 if you look at quote four, so the first thing is there's a few basic principles within Judaism. One is there's a concept um, in within Jewish law called chayecha kodmin. We've discussed it here in other contexts, which means literally, the translation is, your life takes precedence. It's based on the famous case um, the Talmud discusses. We have two people traveling the desert, okay, and you only have one jug of water between them. One guy has a jug of water. So normally, there's an obligation of rescue. You have to save someone else's life. Whoops. But when it comes to, um, you want to, David, you pass around the fruit and the desserts. All the food here. It's true. I'm saying when you're done. You okay, so so the issue becomes right. So there's one jug of water. Two people traveling the desert. One jug of water. So th so there's an argument in the Talmud whether the person is obligated to share his water with the other guy. Meaning there's only enough water for one of them to survive. One jug of water. There's no Walmart. No um, no soda machine. So what do you do? Okay, so it says, so there's one opinion who says you got to share your water, even at the expense of your own life. You can't watch someone else's die. Some, watch someone else die. The other opinion says no. Um, you can only, you don't have to share the water unless there's enough for both of you. But I don't have to give up my own life. It's based on a verse. The verse discussing the laws of charity says like this. It says, um, you shall help the indigent amongst you. Your brother shall live with you. Okay? That's the, that's the words of the verse in Leviticus. 
So again, your brother, it says healthy indigent, and your, so your brother may live with you. So the Talmud interprets that verse, your brother may live with you, that means you only help him if you're going to live too. Meaning if by helping the other person, you're going to lose your own life or endanger your own life, you have no obligation to help that person. Okay, this is in the, in the context of charity. So for example, one of the good laws to know that, that is extrapolated from this is um, Judaism puts a cap on charity. You're not allowed to give, more, give away more than a fifth of your net worth. It's prohibited. You know this, Alan? In case the Federation comes after you, tell them to call me. So, so you, it's prohibited to give away more than a fifth of your net worth because if you're, it's very nice, it's beautiful, I'm giving away everything I own, but if you're giving away so much, it might come to the point where you're going to need to come on um, to society to support you. So therefore, we don't allow you to do something which, in any which way. Giving charity is a great thing. Helping other people is a great thing. But if it, will, it might endanger your own life by doing that, so we don't allow you to do that. Yeah. What about inheritance upon death? Can you give it all away to charity? Yeah. Or do you have to um, say eight... Yeah, because once you're dead, you don't need the money anymore. <laughs> so you have no obligation. <laughs> so, so meaning, so the point is, yes, you, what, uh, in, in your will, you can give it all away, but it has to be, um, well, yeah, yes, technically speaking, you can. I mean, it says, actually, the Talmud does this because you should leave something <laughs> to your kids. You never give it all away to charity because your kids have to live too, but but technically you can. We'll talk about it after class. <laughs> okay, so, uh, so, that's, so that's principle number one. Okay, this is a famous life of ethics case based on this. So the question is how that would apply here. Um, where, technically, one could make the claim that by allowing these refugees into the country, um, the, no, it's, it's a beautiful thing, we should be helping them. By the way, I'm a son of a refugee, two refugees. Both my parents are refugees. Um, it's it's something we need to do as as Jews, as Americans, etc. Um, but the question is again, if and and I, again I don't know the fact. One makes one if the facts were very clear that by allowing these people into the country, there will be a danger to our own security. Um, then that alone, that would seem based on this principle, that would be an exception. And we we again, but question is what the facts are, I'm not getting into that. Um, is there a danger or not? Meaning, can, how much can we vet them? Can we vet them properly? Can they be vetted? Can they not be vetted? That's something that people greater than me need to figure out. Um, okay, so based on this principle, it would seem to dictate that we don't, maybe we don't have to save refugees at the expense of, of our own lives, okay? That's what it would seem. Now, there's, a, there's another concept. Um, and by the way, this is another question. So even economically, before we get to the second principle, there's, a, there's an issue which is, what about, if it's not going to be a danger, but just economically it can affect their, these people are taking jobs away from Americans, etc. So what happens, how do we look at it in that sense? But they're not endangering my life, it just, it's going to be harder to get a job because you have more people, more of the people in the country looking for this type of, <coughs> of profession. Okay, so again, in that situation, it's interesting, you um, money also plays a role in the economy. For example, the Talmud discusses a case of two villages on a mountainside. Okay? So you have a village on top of the mountain and a village at the bottom of the mountain. And there's a stream coming down uh, the mountain, a river coming down the mountain, which is the water source for both villages. Okay, now there's enough water for both of them um, to drink. Okay? 
if the top village takes water, the bottom village is fine. But the question is, if the top village use, uses the water to wash their clothes, the bottom village will not have enough to drink. Okay, so the question is, can the top city um, take water to wash their clothing at the expense that the people on the bottom won't have drinking water? Okay, so what would you say in that case, Alan? It depends. If they have the rights to the water, yeah. Well, it's coming the, to their village first. The riparian rights require you to consider what's. Can you translate to English? Water rights. <coughs> water okay. rights. Okay. Water okay. rights law requires, at least in American law, that there be consideration as to everybody on the stream that has rights to that water. Yeah, but they weren't. They weren't. You know, trying to profit, build the whole plant to use the water. They were using it for their daily activity. Well, it's not. It's not like they. They need to clean clothes. How would you propose that they would clean their clothes? Well, they, it's not like they were diverting it to make a business and depleting the people down below. You know, it's in the course of normal day. So do, does that matter? Necessity versus Which what The actual use. You said clothes, but does it doesn't even matter. If they're going to say, hey, well, we, yes. can, we got all this water, let's irrigate the cornfields and all this. Okay, so that's what I'm pointing out. So the, so the Talmud rules in that case. Uh, um, that they do have a right to wash their clothing because that's part of normal life. Anything that's part of normal life. If they're going to build something like you're saying, just they're selling bottled water, that would be that might be a problem. Just for profit. Water to the below. <laughs> but if if their purpose is to live their normal lives, it's part part of life is you need to have clean clothing. People have to wash. It actually can affect your health too. But but clean clothing is part of life. So therefore, that's a normal part of of the culture, and therefore they have a right to use the water. Even to, since they're getting the water first, and they have technically the rights to the water, they have a right to use it for whatever daily needs they need, even at the expense of the drinking water of the bottom village. Says the Talmud. Now, what's what's relevant here? So, so meaning one can make that argument um, here too. Meaning, what, what's considered part of normal life? As we know, our government we have plenty of money before Trump's tax cuts. Got a, the, we're a rich country, but there are certain things where you know we have to prioritize where our money's going. To. And one can argue, let's say, and we had we discussed it here in the context of healthcare, but it can apply here too. Meaning, why are we taking money that the government is giving to culture, to NPR, and to uh, which they now they're taking some of it away, but uh, to uh, opera houses and 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 parks and building national parks and giving that towards healthcare. Right, and, and giving people who can't afford health care. So obviously we understand, meaning in our society, culture is also part of our life. We, a country, a society has to have culture. So there has to be money going to the arts and to parks and to things like that too, even at the expense, technically, even of people's lives, in a certain sense. So you see the same, that's based on the same concept. Washing clothes, and, and one can make the argument, opera, you don't need opera. I don't need to have the arts. We can survive without the arts, but it's not the same. Uh, it's not the same society. Yes. So, but using the two villages examples, clearly these two villages were existing for some time before. So, is it have anything to do with a fundamental change in the way the first village did it? Like, no, no. This obviously is not a new issue, or if it's a new issue, hey. The, the assumption is they the water comes to them first. They have a right to the water. But the question is how much rights? Do they have a right to the water because it comes to their village first, even at the expense of the other city? We're saying yes, but how far does that go? What about if I need it, like we're saying, just to wash my dog, to wash my car? So <coughs> can they use the water, even at the expense of the drinking water in the bottom city? Does timing have any effect? Like, let's say there's this nice village at the bottom, and I said, you know what, guys, let's go make a village at the top, and then, you know, we won't... Oh, so you know. I, don't, I don't know exactly how 
that works in that sense, but I don't know the details. But that, that's the case that Tom okay. discussed. So I'm implying that, I'm just saying here too, the question is, forget about if they're a danger to society, even if economically, they, by bringing in millions of, or hundreds of thousands of refugees, it can affect our society economically in a detrimental way, and we won't be able to afford certain things that we, that are a normal part of our society, that also can be an exception to the rule, is what I'm pointing out. Um, is, there a mon is there a number? Because we're talking 100,000 people against 300 million. Yeah, so I, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know the number. I mean, I don't know exactly what, meaning again, what, and where do you draw the line? Because obviously there's something, you know, that we draw the line, to, but, but, but where exactly, I can't tell you. It's a vague, it's a vague statement. Now there's another concept, similar concept, which is called, um, in the laws of charity again, the, the halachic principle called aniyei ircha kodem. And I think we've discussed this here in the past, which literally means the poor of your city come prior to the indigent of a different locale. Okay, so meaning, as we know, we're all as rich as a country or as an individual may be. Um, there's, they have to prioritize prioritize what, who they give their money to. Can't help every poor person in the world. The question is, how do we prioritize? So the Torah, based on the verse in the Torah, where the Torah actually spells out in the laws of charity, it says, uh, you shall give money to the people of your city, the people of your country, the people of... Uh, it goes on and on. So there's a, there's a priority list, and we discussed it here in the past. Even your ex-wife is on the priority list. And how and where, how do you prioritize your giving? Okay? So the, the question becomes... Um, so the Torah says very clearly, and the Allah states that the poor of your city come first. That means if I have a choice of giving to cleft, you know, the late night TV advertisement with a kid in Rwanda who has a cleft palate, or given to the homeless in Houston, I'm obligated according to Jewish law to, to help the homeless in Houston before I give to the you know the, the the African village, even though it looks you know it's much more emotional when you watch the you know the advertisement, what about Houston the infomercial. So, so Houston comes before Israel. That's what it says. It says, It means the poor, the indigent of your city come first. Next, it says, come the indigent of, of Israel um, before Rwanda also. So it's the priority list within Jewish law is the poor of your city, and then the poor, it says, of, of, of Artsakh, of, the, I, of I, your I land. I say this the other night, but I need this exact expression. <laughs> Hey, Hebrew alone. Here I am. I got the rabbi. All these people speak. don't need Israel. I'm trying to for Hebrew for the Jews in Houston. You only, you know, mm -hmm. I only speak for the feet. Oh. You know, you offer me to speak. You didn't offer me a speaking feet. Above the poor people, that's not less than 400 grand. Tell Paul Weinstein to videotape you. Then I'm just gonna have the video. That's that expression is good enough for me. So this is a very important principle, and it's a important principle in general, which is again, you have to help the indigent of your locale before you help indigent of another place. Okay, so, so the question is how this applies here too. Can one apply this? Because as we know, we have people suffering in our own country. If you want to argue the veterans, whoever it is, who are not being taken care of. So yes, we do we need to help the refugees? Of course we need to help the refugees. But our obligation to our own um, indigent in our own locale comes before helping refugees. Um, if we had enough funds for both, of course we have to help both. So that's, so that's another issue which one could make that argument. Um, I'll just tell you a story now. But the most we can give is 20%. Of your total net worth. Yeah. Most we can give to help those people, however we had allocated. 
It's 20%. Yes. So we give 20% this year, and next year you give another 20%. Yeah. And the next year, 22 yeah. percent But you can't go below 80%. What if you have so much that 20 that but I mean, eventually you're That's a good question. I haven't seen that discussed. Good, good question. I don't know the answer to that. She's asking, what about like someone like Bill Gates? 20% is not a lot. You know, we still have plenty to live on. So that's a good question. I don't know the answer. I'm assuming probably change, but it doesn't discuss, I don't think they have that concept. They probably didn't. <laughs> right. That concept didn't exist. Where's the 20% yeah. of the top of the network? Yeah, yeah. Fifth of the network. Um, but that, what's interesting is that's really those, these principles, these principles are really principles. Clive, 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 Clive I, I'm on a time clock. So he wants to take over me the rap. What do you mean? <laughs> you don't have facial hair, you can't. Um, the, the point no, is like no, this, so, so the, 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 the argument against this would be these are laws about individuals. It, it's not really discussed on the communal level. You have to realize when we're discussing, all, these, all the laws we're discussing here are more, except the water laws, obviously, at communal level. But this law, let's say, of, of giving charity, it's discussing more, not necessarily on the communal level, it's really addressing the individual. So me, I have an obligation towards when I'm giving charity, this is who I have to give to first. When you're dealing with the society, it's not really addressed. So that, that might be an argument for the other side saying that this, these exceptions wouldn't apply to a societal question, because that's really what we're facing in the United States. And me as an individual, if I, if, should I donate to the uh, immigration fund or to the homeless fund of Houston, I have to give the homeless fund of Houston um, before I give the, the immigration fund. That's what we're saying. Um, I, my, I think I said this story in 2015, so I apologize if you heard it before, but my sister-in-law's brother actually asked this question in 1973 to Ramosha Feinstein when the uh, Vietnamese boat people were coming into the United States at the time, I was 72, 73, before my days, I wasn't born yet. Um, so, it's a lie. Um, so the, the point is that, that uh, they were coming in and people protesting in the streets. As you know, they were, they were turning them away. Um, and he went to ask this question to Moshe Feinstein, who was the leading halachic authority at the time. And he said, Do we, should we as a Jewish community be out there protesting, uh, um, organized Jewish protests against this, the government who wasn't allowing the Vietnamese boat people in? So, so then they said, we'll see how badly you want to come to the US. We're going to send you to Arkansas. <laughs> That couldn't change your mind. Um, yeah, so, so, he, so his answer to, to this guy was, I heard it directly, this is firsthand, he said, Ramosh Faisi told him, he said, yes, we as a Jewish community need to organize protests because of this mitzvah of loving the Gera. We, we have an obligation to love the refugee and love the stranger, but he says, first, go take care of our own community. Uh, after we finish protesting for all the, the problems we have in our own community, then we can go protest for the, for the Vietnamese boat people. But he said, technically, yes, we should be. But we, again, we need to, it's a question of priorities. There's no question we have to help refugees. But we have to prioritize in who we help. And until we help um, the people that the, the people who are up on the list, further up on the list of priorities, says then we don't go and help the other. Yes, so sorry. the logic seems flawed because it seems yes. so absolute. Like if there's $20 million and I've got a $20 million problem here and I need the next $10 million for that, the $20 million is consumed completely by the first priority. It, it's absolutely it like I can't be. even talk about refugees because until I've totally absolved the homeless situation here. 
So, so again, again, the law is stated as an individual <coughs> and not as a society. Society, obviously, I don't think you can put the same rules on a society, meaning a government, because the government has to allocate funds everywhere. They can't say, this is priority, we're going to put all our funding here. Well, that means, none of us should give a but I'm saying, but as an individual, what is, what is my obligation? I have an obligation to help people, to do kind, acts of kindness. So how do I prioritize in my giving, in my acts of kindness? What we're saying is, should I volunteer at the homeless shelter of Houston or volunteer and, and fly to, to Syria you know, for, to help the people there? So that's what we're saying. Your obligation in giving and helping it comes to the people in your city prior to the refugees of Syria. That's what we're saying. But as a, as a society as a whole, obviously, I, I don't think we could apply this per se. So, but what if your generosity locally ends up hurting like the place where they're coming from. Because we have, by any estimate, 60 to 100,000 El Salvadorans living one mile west of here, which is an entire middle class, probably for about a third of that country. So they've lost the people that need to help rebuild their economy in El Salvador. So basically what we've done is we've stolen the people from El Salvador that need that help and now what we've done is we've made that such a huge void there that anybody, no one is motivated in El Salvador to try and make their place better. They just figure I'm going to hop on the, the uh, thing and come to the United States and stay with, with neighbors or friends or family. Okay, so, so what's the question? Should we be doing that? Is that the yeah, I mean, at, at a certain point, I mean, does the generosity right. backfire so well, and have unintended consequences? So long-term Syria is doomed because all, everyone with any money or any sense has got the heck out of there. They're going to be left with all the indigent, leftover people, regardless of yeah, what they're yeah, yeah, yeah. No, because anyone who can get out of there is going to get out of there. Unless yeah, but I, said, I think we're speaking very broad terms. I don't know enough about El Salvador to, to answer your specific question, but we're going to talk about the unintended consequences. We'll get there in general. Okay? So... Um, <coughs> Where was I here? Okay, so now we're running out of. I don't want to. I'm gonna skip this middle part for now. Uh, well, actually, no. Let me, one more thing I want to mention is number six, which is which. By the way, this actually might address your point, which is in the laws again within the framework of charity, as we discussed here in the past. But Maimonides says very clearly, um, there's also besides as to priorities in giving who we have to help and who we have to give to. There's also priorities in the form of help. Okay, um, Maimonides has what's called the famous ladder. Eight, uh, it's called the Maimonides Ladder of Charity, where he discusses, um, you know, the, talks about levels of charity, meaning in the quality of the charity, meaning you have to do it nicely. Uh, you know, it's not, numbers are not as important in, within the, the Jewish philosophy of charity as more important as helping the person out. So, meaning if you're going to give him a smaller check but with a bigger smile, and I can tell you as a rabbi who has to do some fundraising sometimes, because when you come in, you, sometimes you, you, know, you, f you make the person feel like a piece of dirt. You might be giving a nice check, but you know, you say, hey, leave me alone, I can't talk to you. you know, and the person you're giving to doesn't feel good, even though you, g you might be giving him a larger check. So my money says giving less, but in a nicer way, with a smile, is obviously is, is actually better than uh, giving more. I don't know if every fundraiser would agree with that. I've got to keep that in mind. <laughs> 
Okay. Personally, how do you feel about this one? <laughs> <laughs> not getting personal. Um, so the point is, so, so another thing my Maimonides discusses is, is first of all, of course, giving anonymously, etc. But he says, and this people, it's interesting. People quote this from uh, from Christianity and and from Jesus, but it's really a Jewish concept in the Talmud, predating Jesus, which is. Um, my man, he says, helping someone start a business or helping, which is they quote, right, helping a person to fish. Teaching a person to fish is better than giving him a fish. I don't know exactly what. Maybe you could help us out here. It's pretty close. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. teach, teach a man to uh, give, give a man a fish he eats for a day. Teach him to fish he eats for a lifetime. Exactly. So my man, he says the same thing, um, quoting the Talmud, which is giving for helping someone start a business, giving him a loan to start a business, something like that, is actually the highest level of charity. Not giving them a handout. Giving them a handout is lower on the rung. So just to write a check to someone, that's the easiest part, and you know, send them away. Giving someone a job who, who doesn't know, can't, who doesn't have a job, who's not employed, giving someone a loan to start a business, that is actually, take a note, highest level of, of charity. Okay? So um, just to plug here, we have two members, only two, two people on the board of the Houston Free Loan Society uh, Association. What's it called? Association HFLA. Okay, so uh, so we'd like to thank you for your service. You can get an extra piece of chicken thank you. for your service. Um, so the the so the point is yeah. I have a question with the concept. So, so just finish the the, the okay, point okay. and then you can ask. So the point is, my man, he says giving someone a loan is the highest level of charity. So this maybe maybe to address your point is. Therefore, and there, there are other ideas, let's say with taking specifically the Syrian refugee issue, you're saying El Salvador, meaning, uh, I think it's probably too late at this point, but two years ago when we first gave this class, we discussed that, which is that, um, or three years ago, meaning uh, having safe, creating safe zones for them within their own country, uh, probably not possible anymore at that time, or other innovative ideas where you're helping them. Here they're coming, they don't speak the language, economically we're gonna have to be completely support them some of these refugees to figure out um, other ways where we can help them stay in their country but protecting protecting them there. So that <coughs> might fit into this concept again of, of being a higher level of charity than bringing them to a country where they're totally going to be totally um, supported and have to be um, supported by society. So that's another, that which may be addressed to the point. Sorry, what's your question? So question, charity and giving should be selfless, right? You shouldn't gain personal benefit giving, correct? You could. It's just like the ideal level of charity within, again, within normalities is to give anonymously where you don't get a big plaque and no one knows the person who's receiving it doesn't know who's giving it and the person who's giving it doesn't know who's receiving it. That's the ideal level of charity. Within but that, quite okay, so that one didn't really affect if you gave, hey, locally, clearly I'm self-motivated in the homeless population in Houston because that would, my property values would go up, everything will be yeah, great. Uh, versus not, working around Rwanda. Most of the time, the homeless are not in your Area, unless you know, some say, depending on where you there's live. There's nothing wrong with, with yes. doing charity with self interest. Yes, there's nothing wrong, but, as a matter of fact. But it isn't, it's not as, ideal. As, it isn't as praiseworthy exactly. as giving. 100%. We're very, by the way, the Torah discusses having a plaque. Right, like if you go to Beth Yisheron and every piece of toilet paper has someone's name, <laughs> that's that's not a bad thing, right? Um, it's not a bad thing because that does entire, I don't know, motivate people to give charity. So people like seeing their names on the on the shul, on the synagogue, right? So that so it is an important concept because that does motivate other people to give. 
So, so it's not we're not pissing that. Um, there's nothing wrong with getting you know you seeing your name on the building. But again, that's not the ideal. What we're saying is, as he's saying, that ideally, to, is to give anonymously from both ends. Okay. Um, okay. So just we're, we're almost out of time. Just, so it's a very two very important things here. Just to get back to again the original law. So I want to qualify it again. The original um, overriding principle we discussed is you have to love the gear. You have to treat the stranger equally, like we said. But Maimonides qualifies that very explicitly, very clearly. Um, and he says like this, Maimonides says, and again, this is in different context, he's going on, um, again, the Eretz Israel, the land of Israel, when the Jews conquered it originally, um, you know, way back when, where you had, it was a King David's kingdom and Saul, all the, all the kings, the way it worked was, anyone coming into Israel or non-Jews living there had to be treated equally. You know, and again, you didn't have to, Judaism, as we know, is a universal religion. We're not like other religions where we say, in order to be saved, you have to, you have to join a religion. We're not looking for people to join. You can go to heaven um, remaining a non-Jew. We have no, we, we, we don't tell, you know, Judaism says you can go to heaven even if you're not Jewish, right? You don't have to become Jewish, you don't have to convert. So we allow people come into the land, they're treated equally. But, says Maimonides, you only have to accept them and allow them to live peacefully in the land of Israel only if, he says, if they accept the seven Noahide laws. Okay? That means when they come into the country, or if they're living there already, and we're now um, running the country, he says they have to accept what's called the seven universal social justice laws. Almost all of them are social justice, um, I believe, which is, just if I remember them, is murder, um, stealing, idolatry, justice, meaning setting up a system of justice, um, uh, some of the sexual and morality laws like adultery, and what am I missing? Anyone help me out here? Um, oh, eating a limb off a live animal. That's a big one. Can't, you know, the turkey legs at the, uh, at the rodeo. So if you pull that off a live turkey, that's prohibited. It's a universal law, not only for Jews. Okay, um, turkey legs are okay, as long as it was uh, slaughtered before. Well, you don't see a one-legged turkey right now. <laughs> and I'm missing one more. Oh, but um, I think it's not cursing God. Okay. Those are the seven universal laws. So, says my Maimonides, yes, we have to treat anyone who comes to our land equally, but only if they accept these seven universal laws. Okay. Um, meaning if they don't accept them, or if they're in practice not keeping those laws, then you can kick them out. You have every right to ship them out and deport them from the country. Okay, so applying that here is one can make that argument again. It's not, Hermanis doesn't say this, but he's specifically referring in the land of Israel with these seven Allied laws. If you have people in the country, again, non-citizens, who are not keeping these, the laws of the country, then one can make that argument. They have, then you don't have to give them these full rights. These full rights are people who are keeping the laws of the country. Okay, again, I'm, 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 I'm applying it from the Rambam. Sorry, you want to use? Oh, maybe say something. So those 700 Noahide laws in Judaism, are those punishable offenses? Can the court punish those? They're not Jews, they're not Judaism, they're universal. universal. They're from the hey, Torah, but they're in the Old Testament universal laws. Did you say seven or 700? No, seven, seven. Seven, seven. okay. We, have, we got, seven. Jews got 613. No, Non-Jews only got seven. <laughs> hey, what happened? Yeah, we gave you 700. <laughs> you got the better end of the deal. Right? The Noahide laws predate the Torah, right? Uh, yes, technically, well, they were given to Noah. That's why they're called the Noah. They're based on, like, the uh, bad yes. yeah, Noah. Yeah, we're given to Noah, which predates the Torah. So, so, I mean, did the, did the 
Ten Commandments get like condensed down to seven? No, no, this is predates to be saying. The Ten Commandments were given at Sinai to the Jewish people only. The, the no, these seven laws were given after the flood to Noah. And that's, Noah wasn't Jewish. It's a universal law to all, quote-unquote, Noahites. Well, most of those were also part of the Ten Commandments. Well, commandments yes, are not they were, some of them were repeatedly. Shabbat is not, what commandments are not part? Shabbat? Shabbat, a lot of, a lot of uh, jealousy, uh, false testimony, right? Uh, there are many belief in God, isn't there? Honoring First of Honoring your parents, okay, right. mother. Okay. Exactly. So, but but the point being is, by the way, there is just uh, as a side point, just nice to know in Texas, there is a big movement that was started, the Noahide movement, which um, it was a group of Christians, if they were evangelicals, this is in the 70s. Um, the famous, there was a famous guy, his name was, I forgot, but actually the, the movie, he's an archaeologist who lived in Fort Worth, Texas. Can't remember his name. Uh, the movie Indiana Jones was actually based on his life, loosely based on his life. He was the real Indiana Jones. Can't remember his name. Um, I actually met him. Um, this guy actually went. To, he's an archaeologist in Israel, in Egypt, and he started in the 70s. And he wanted to convert to Judaism in Israel when he was doing archaeology, and they convinced him not to do it. And he started a Noahide movement, which today has something something like uh, 500,000 followers all over the world. They have branches where they just they actually no longer Christians and they just keep the seven universal laws. Um, these seven universal laws, it's called, you can they have websites, it's called, and there's a big branch in actually in, in near the airport up is there. Is it Roy Chapman? His name is Roy something. Was, they have a big uh, church slash synagogue. Roy Chapman Andrews? No, it's Indiana Jones. I looked up the real name. Oh, no, 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 that's not his name. Okay. Look it up, Fort Worth, Texas, um, whatever. Anyway, so, so just an interesting side point. So the seven, the seven universal yeah. laws, yeah, again, right. are what's required, says Maimonides, in order for us to treat you, um, equal, meaning to let you live in our country in peace. And this is in, this, in the country of Israel. So if you don't keep those laws, says Maimonides, you have, you, then we don't, have to, you don't have to, we don't have to allow you into the country. Okay, now I just want to finish off um, quickly, which is... I have is, a couple things before you... No, because I want to finish, then, then you can do your couple things. Okay. I'll stay and listen to you. <laughs> I'll listen to it, but I'm saying I just want to, because I have people, it's one o'clock, it's after one. So there's another very important thing, which is um, the, the, also from the Torah itself, we find this by Lot. Um, okay, as we know, Sodom, world famous Sodom, known for, theirs, for the Sadamites and for sodomy. Um, as we know, the city of Sodom was an evil city in biblical times, also before, way before Judaism, in the times of Abraham. And the city was destroyed many reasons given, but the, one of the main things was because they weren't hospitable to immigrants, the people coming into the city. They had, supposedly they actually had, it was very rich in minerals, if you go today, to the site where supposedly Sodom was, near the Dead Sea. They say a lot of the minerals within the Dead Sea came from the destruction of Sodom, according to you, which is the same minerals the Torah discusses, um, sulfur, etc. You go to, when you go to the mall in Galleria and they sell you all this stuff for your face, those Dead Sea products. So it comes from this, the, the area is very rich in, in minerals and also in gold and other um, precious metals. And they didn't want to share with anyone from outside their city. Okay, and so they, they actually passed laws prohibiting um, hospitality. You weren't allowed to have any guests overnight in the city of Sodom. That was one of the reasons it was destroyed, the famous story with Lot. So Lot, who was a nephew of Abraham, he, the angels came, he didn't know they were angels, and he allowed them into his home. Because he said he was, Abraham, as we know, is known for his 
chesed for his kindness. Um, that was the epitome of kindness. So he was his nephew. He learned from Abraham how to be kind to people. He said, I have to let these people in. The story the Bible talks about is so they surrounded the, the people of the city surrounded his home and they, they wanted to, they wanted his guests to lynch them and rape them um, and lynch them. So what does Lot do? Lot, he's so hospitable. He says, I'm going to give you my daughters. You can't have my guests. Don't mess with my two guests. But I have two daughters. You can have them and do whatever you like with them. Okay? So that is perverted. Okay, so the, the commentaries there discuss, even though he was doing it, he was such a great guy, he was saving his guests, right? He was so hospitable that he was being kind to his guests. But that is what we call, in, in Jewish philosophy, it's called misguided altruism. You don't sacrifice your family to be kind to other people. And this doesn't mean many people have a problem, especially rabbis. Yeah, but many the Torah justified that they weren't interested in his daughters, so they would have passed on it. Yeah, but I'm not sure he knew that. Uh, no, I think, it, I think they, said maybe, he did. they said he did. Uh, that that's yeah, that's, uh, he yeah, I'm sure there's it. different opinions there, but the point is that they discussed, there's yeah, some yeah. that something called misguided altruism. It's, we need to be, as, as Jews, we're obligated to be kind, and to immigrants again, but it, not at the effect of our own family, meaning if, and again, I don't know, I'm not saying what the facts are, I don't know the fact, but if it will affect our own security and, and affect our own family, so we need to understand that there's something called uh, misguided altruism, and, and that's the question of how to, how to apply in this case. So I'm not making any judgment calls. Speak to, uh, you need to do the research on your own. I don't know the facts, and I don't think any, most I think 99% of us don't know the facts. Um, what, how it really will, if it, can we do vetting properly, can we not do vetting properly, etc., etc. I'm not sure uh, many of us know the facts, but this is the, in my opinion, the Torah philosophy. Thank you very much. So, I will give the floor to Ed. Ed, by the way, I just want to give an introduction here. Is a uh, an attorney and a physician yeah, and an MBA, um, and he is very. Uh, he's a member of the Federal Society. You need to no, make disclaimers. I'm not. Are you not? Are you? I'm just. I'm just sitting my But he but is. Uh, he's not happy with the liberal stance of many uh, Jews that's and not rabbis. That's not true. He's, he's <laughs> So he wrote a letter. This is a, this is, you're going to read us your letter you wrote to Rabbi Teller? I, I read a, so some of you may if you're related to virtually, you know, the Jeff Act or sent a letter out to everybody, which was against the wall and, and Jeff Act was the president of Bristol. So, so I, I did a little research and I responded. And I just want to share a couple of things with Rabbi Yossi left out, I think. Um, the, the first verse of all is You have been listening to the MP3 project from the Jewish Ethic Institute. For a complete selection of our lectures, please visit our website at j-ethics.org. Shalom.